Okay, what have we got going on? First of all, it's I'd just like to point out it's about. Oh, let me grab that. According to my my alarm clock, it is eighty five degrees in this recording studio right now. Eighty five glorious degrees, September twenty sixteen. Welcome. Here we are, eighty five degrees, September twenty sixteen. I think overall we're going to have a good show. We've got a lot of fun fun things lined up. Um, 85 degrees, not a problem. It's totally fine. But um, we're not going to let that stop us. We're not going to let that slow us down. We're just going to power through and um, have a good time. Enjoy each other's company. Enjoy this opportunity to get to know each other better, especially through um, through the new call-in segment. So um, we'll go to the we'll go to the phones now. Is there anybody on the phones? Okay. Um, so uh, lines are open. Call in anytime. We're looking for anyone to tell us about anything that's going on. Um, how hot is it in your apartment right now? It's 85 degrees here. It's actually 7 at night, and it's 85 degrees. So it's going to be super fun sleeping tonight in this weather and um, getting up and facing the work week, which I do with joy. Every time the work week starts, we got an action packed show. We have a guest lined up. We did that segment earlier two and a half weeks ago. So that person will be pleasantly surprised to find out that I did, in fact, get this together and send it out as opposed to just sit on the interview uh, and never release it, which I would never do. Uh, this show is, if about anything, about our guests and their, um, their opportunity to shine in front of the wider audience that we have here at that really smart show. We look forward to that. But before we get into that too far, a couple of updates, things that have been going on recently. Um, uh, the phone lines are open. If you have anything you want to talk about, just give us a call. We would love to hear from you here on the show. Um, other things, gave up, uh, gave up craft beer. Yeah, it's been a, a pretty warm summer here in Chicago. You know, usually get a couple of warm days. It's been warm, you know, consistently low 80s to mid 90s and uh, and humid. And, you know, this summer, about halfway through, I realized that all I wanted to do was drink a cold beer that didn't get me drunk after like one and a half of said beers. I looked around, made some decisions. Uh, interestingly, I did find one craft beer that I liked a lot. It was, I think, two and a half percent alcohol which you know is pretty low um surprisingly a six pack of that beer costs like 17 dollars i uh <laughs> part of the reason to go away from the craft beers is to save money they're drunk after three beers but uh, i wasn't quite willing to both go low alcohol and exorbitant craft beer prices so i didn't go that route instead i went with Modelo. Uh, been drinking Modelo pretty consistently for about three and a half to four weeks now. I would say the hangovers are less intense. My night ends now around 11 30, 12 versus before 8 39. So I'm saving money and getting more experience for my drinking dollar, which, which I've enjoyed. And you know what? It's less filling.
Oh, this will be this will get us through the next 14 minutes of the show, no problem. Now that sounds like a uh, like an alcoholic beverage. It's not. It is a sparkling water. Hmm. It's um, you know, it just tastes like water and makes you burp. But for some reason, I can't get enough of this stuff. All right. Other things. Let's go to the phones. Um, who do we got on the line right now? No, nobody. Okay. Uh, yeah. Once again, please call in. We didn't have a ton of stuff lined up for this episode outside of the interview. Um, so, you know, we're kind of hurting for content. What we're not hurting for is your thoughts and opinions on anything at all. Anything at all. So what's new here outside of the um, giving up on the craft beer? A couple of things have been going on. Um, longtime listeners know that this show has a, a couple of couple of things that we really enjoy. One, of course, is antique rugs. Got a new one of those. Mounted it. First time ever doing that. So I, I sewed the rug to a backing and then Velcroed it onto a piece of wood and stapled it into my wall. And it's really close to being level. <laughs> and we'll put a picture of that up on the website. Um, a picture of the, the new rug. Maybe we'll make that the picture next to the episode on the internet if we can figure out how to do that. Uh, of the uh, that really smart show family. Some of them felt like it made the apartment look like something in man in his 70s who was dying would do. Um, I don't think it looks quite like that. I do admit that maybe, you know, you don't see, probably not everywhere, but you know what? Yeah, that's uh, part, of the, um, part of the draw of the art and the experience, I would say, is, you know, it takes a special person to spend three and a half hours sewing a backing onto a rug and then almost mounting it level, like so close to being level. That was a big deal. Um, between that and, and giving up on, on craft beer, I think we've, we've done a lot of things recently that have really kind of shaken things up here, here at the home front, here at the, um, here at the, the, that really smart family. And I think that's good. You know, we're, Summer is kind of fading out, um, even though it's now apparently 87 degrees uh, here in this studio. Summer is on the way out. The nights are getting a little bit colder. The sun's going down earlier. Uh, you know, there's rugs on the wall. What else? Go to the phones, anything? I mean, did we did we not give out the number before the show started? Make a, a day trip out out of Chicago to exciting uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Went there for completely cool and awesome reasons. And while there, sent around to some stores and there were two things I noticed about Milwaukee that were that were interesting to me. One was I have been looking for a wind chime for months. And we were in Milwaukee for no less than two hours when we found a great wind chime at a phenomenal price. Um, 
picked it up without even thinking twice. And that kind of leads to the second thing. Everything in Milwaukee is like 15 to 20% cheaper than it is in Chicago. I mean, just like off the bat, doesn't matter what it is. It's just cheaper. Like that wind chime, I mean, easily 25% off. And it's not even, you couldn't even find it here. Now the wind chimes here are fancy, uh, you know, fancy organic handmade soap wind chimes. I just wanted a good old fashioned wind chime and they had them there all over the place. And I just like, well, I'll take that one and it's 25% off. And they're like, here, have that wind chime. Welcome to Milwaukee. Enjoy yourself. You know, why exactly are you living in Chicago when you could live in Milwaukee? But then you walk around a little bit longer and realize you walked the five and a half blocks of Milwaukee where you'd actually want to do anything. And then you say, oh, okay, um, cool. 25% off. Kind of makes sense. I'm pretty sure I did this town in three and a half hours. Got a wind chime. So I'm just going to get back on the road here and, and, and head home. But in general, great town, lovely people. Um, didn't eat anything there, but I'm sure it was fine. You know, because most food is fine, right? I'm, I'm a fan of most food. Most food is okay. You know, even something like McDonald's isn't bad. It might be bad for you, but you don't dislike eating it. Or if you do, you know, there's a handful of places that you actually dislike eating or food that you dislike. Uh, for me, that's probably coconut. Not a huge coconut guy. But outside of coconut, it's pretty much, pretty much fair game. Which is weird because, you know, when you think about it, food has got this kind of, it's this hot cult product these days. Like, it's really hard to find good food. You know, good food is hard to find. And, um, and you've got these kind of like two sides of the food coin. You've got your Anthony Bourdain. Um, hey, I'm just, a, I'm just a former cool cook who probably could have been a really cool punk rocker, but probably couldn't have been really at all. Um, and, and I like to go around to towns and hang out with the local people and eat the local food and talk about how good the local food is before I go back to my rich Manhattan apartment and my rich Manhattan friends, and my rich Manhattan restaurants, I still like to go, you know, around and, uh, and try out these things. Get down there and, you know, really see what makes a, a hamburger in Atlanta so great, or whatever it is, right? So you got that extreme. And, you know, even then when the places they go to, they're always like, you know, chef-run places with some 25-year-old guy covered in tattoos who's like, yeah, I mean, I grew up, uh, grew up eating mac and cheese and hamburger helper, and I never realized how amazing, like, farm-raised beef could be. So I opened this burger bar, and, uh, you know, just, just the passion I have for this food and this community just really makes it uh, all worth it. You know, there's that, that whole thing. And then you've got the other side, which is like, the, uh, like the chef's table. I don't know if you've seen that show. It's on Netflix. And they go around to like three-star restaurants. So the kind of total opposite. Well, not total opposite, right? The total opposite is, hey, I'm just uh, going to the local hot dog stand that serves a perfectly fine hot dog for a perfectly cheap price. And they've been doing it for 60 years. And it's fine. You know, it's a buck seventy-five. Got some food on my way. No big deal, right? That'd be the other extreme. The, uh, the, the whole down-home, farm-to-table, $12 hamburger. That's a little bit between the two. But for the most part, it's the other extreme, right? It's the, uh, with the Michelin star restaurants and, and the critics. So they'll have this show, and they'll kind of show the chefs slowly plating foods in slow motion. And then they'll do like a 360 camera around the plate of food. 
and they'll tell you what it is and you're supposed to you know shoot yourself in the face for never having tried it that kind of that kind of feeling then they'll cut to the food critic who you know has has known about this restaurant for forever and is just so excited to tell you all about you know this great trattoria in modena or whatever it is and like how he's doing this cutting edge stuff that no one has ever done before and and it, you know, at first it wasn't successful, but he kept doing it and being honest to his vision. And then, you know, slowly people came around uh, to to how wonderful his food is and, and all this sort of stuff. It's kind of infuriating. The food looks good. And for the most part, like the chefs themselves seem like perfectly normal people who just, you know, have a really hard job making rich people happy to spend lots of money at their restaurants. Like, I get that. That's a stressful job. I do not want that kind of responsibility. Uh, and that kind of execution, you know, top, you know, tip of the hat to that, the uh, the critics and the whole like cult of of these people and their vision and you know what they do and how no one's ever done it. And it's like, first of all, every single person that you've had on the show is basically doing the same thing, right? They're taking local ingredients and they're elevating them to this place that no one has ever elevated them to before. And it's kind of like, uh. This plate of food kind of looks like the plate of food from the guy in Mexico. And I get it that they're using different ingredients, but, at, you know, at the end of the day, they're both just kind of doing some really, you know, they're both just making food from the local ingredients and putting it on a big white plate and then, like, sloshing a piece of something around the side, like a sauce on the side. Like, that's great. It looks cool. I'm all about it. But the whole kind of the obliviousness or, like, the destination restaurant, right? Like, this is a destination restaurant. He's made it a true destination uh, and I've, that is like one of the most loaded terms. <laughs> what does make something a destination restaurant? If you exit your apartment and go to a restaurant as a kind of conscious decision, right? So there's a bar around the corner from us, serves really good hamburgers. And I'll say, hey, let's go to the bar around the corner and eat a hamburger tonight. And everyone will say, sure, that sounds a lot better than cooking food. Let's go to the bar around the corner uh, and, and eat a hamburger. Is that a destination restaurant? Like, we sought that out as the place to go, and we're going to go there. It is a destination for us that evening. But I don't think, I don't think that's really what a destination restaurant means, right? Because um, when you're talking about it, these people, they, it seems like the, the assumption is of a destination restaurant, right? It means you have to get on an airplane and then fly there and then get off of the airplane and make sure you have your reservation at least six months in advance. And that's, that's the destination restaurant, which is so obscenely like bougie of a way of looking at something that it kind of makes me want to go to all these restaurants. <laughs> like I want to buy a plane ticket. I want to fly to these places. And then I want to sit down at these restaurants and eat this food and go, hmm, that's a destination restaurant right there. That's, that's the stuff. We got about, uh, we got about half, a, half, a, half a container of sparkling water left. And I, I don't want to waste it just drinking it, not talking into this microphone in my home studio. That is still 87 degrees. Hopefully you have air conditioning and you're sitting at home watching television um, because oof, I did that. I did that last Saturday. Uh, I went out and then I don't know, remember, did something. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I did something. It was exhausting. I got home at like seven o'clock and I realized that I could 
watch a seven-hour TV miniseries that would put me in bed around 2.30, and ugh, I did it, and it was, it was wonderful. It was seven hours of pure bliss. I think I ate, like, an entire bag of pistachios and just watched this program until I, until I, you know, I fell asleep a couple times during it, but then I'd wake up, you know, when, when something scary or loud would happen. But for the most part, it was super good, and I only fell asleep for like two and a half of the seven episodes, and I'd read the book, so I kind of had the general gist, um, but I, it was also very evident while watching this that I did not read that book very closely, um, because I had no idea if certain things were in the book or not. I mean, I recognized most of the names, but then I was like, wow, I did, <laughs> I did not pick up on that guy being a magician at all, <laughs> which was, turned out to be a pretty big, pretty big part of the show. It was a big book. It was like 1,200 pages or something. I mean, I skimmed a little bit, the last third, probably, because that's when apparently that guy became a magician. Um, but all in all, it was good. And then the miniseries came out, so I got it anyways. So what's the big deal? Other stuff, other things worth mentioning before we get out of here and we get to the interview. Um, yeah, coming into fall, we'll probably do some apple picking, probably, you know, harvest a pumpkin carve it into some kind of jack-o'-lantern and put it on the porch and then have that super fun obligation to throw away a vegetable or a gourd off your porch like two days after Halloween, um, putting it off for another week and then throwing it out when it's kind of moldy and you pick it up and you see the bottoms all rotted out. There's like ants running around, so you have to sweep up the ants and sweep up the pumpkin slime. So looking forward to that. That's always fun. Fall harvest time, right? Time to put dead vegetables and dead plants all over your all over your home for for a couple of months. Um, you know, I prefer summer when there are flowers that bloom and smell great, and there are butterflies and birds chirping. Um, but you know, that's that's me. I I believe some people do prefer to have dead plant matter surround them for months on end, while the weather slowly degrades and there is no sunlight for months at a time. Last thing, uh, we're going into the interview here now. We've got our friend, first-time caller. Uh, actually, he was an in-studio guest, but his name is Michael. He lives in the Avondale neighborhood of Chicago, just like me, although he lives on a different block. Uh, what's that? Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, so one, one more thing here, a little bit of housekeeping here on the show. Um, we, are, we are adding a new element to the show. It's going to be a newsletter. We're going to be mailing that out through uh, standard U.S. parcel post to any interested party, you simply have to email us your home mailing address, and you will be subscribed to the newsletter, and you'll be getting your first your first uh, first issue real shortly. So to do that, you've got to email us at agrepresenten at gmail.com. Uh, that is the letters ag, then the word represent, followed by letters one and zero at gmail.com. Okay. Uh, up next, Michael. Don't worry, I've, I've got it all prepared. Oh, okay. Um, so, I actually, of course, have nothing prepared. <laughs> But I can set the scene. We are at my kitchen table, drinking Manhattans, and Michael is here. Michael is our guest. Hello. Um, no, yeah, so, I mean, I'll, 
we'll probably figure out things to talk about. The nice thing is we can just edit it all away. So, do you do a lot of editing? I do a lot of editing, but I, I don't want you to see behind the curtain. <laughs> this is um, this is your time. So you're actually the first person who um, who listened to the show and then volunteered to be on the show. Mm-hmm. I thought I could help. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> the uh, all the other guests. Well, that's not true. Maybe one of the other ones kind of requested. But typically, how it works is I just go around asking people until someone accepts. So I think this is a kind of a new, exciting development for that really smart show. I noticed that there's no cap gun this time. Mm. Yeah, there. That was um, that caused a lot of problems with the feedback. Mm. And um, but I was really appreciating the um, stereo soundstage that it provided. Yeah, because you know, depending on which direction it was pointing and mm. where it was in the studio, right? Uh, it you know, it's I was listening, of course, on headphones. Um, and I felt like the cap gun was over here, and then it was over there. <laughs> yeah, it was over here and over there. <laughs> it's a pretty yeah. So, what do you think? What is your first impression of of seeing seeing this setup in person? It's like when two thousand one was in the theaters for the first time, mm-hmm. and everyone thought, "Wow, this is the future." Yeah, that's how I see this. Yeah, I mean, I'm, first of all, I agree. Um, we have we have a lot of cutting edge stuff. Heather, Heather's insisting that we buy a new computer at this point because you have to take this computer and lug around this external keyboard in order to use the computer. So uh, it is one of the largest keyboards <laughs> I've ever seen. It's uh, got, and yeah. it like really dwarfs the fairly large computer. So you say lug around, but you could easily replace it with a fraction of this fraction of the size keyboard. Really? Oh yeah. Well, I could. Uh, I'll think about looking into that. But it's the the sixty four track mixer that's you're lugging around. That's a real problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was unfortunate when I turned um, turned half of my apartment into a recording studio. Yeah. But I think it was worth it. You know what's uh, speaking of cutting edge? Mm-hmm. What's really shocking is the cutting edge mechanical keyboards and do you know that there are various switches with quirky names that produce different tactile responses and different sounds um how much do you know about this i know nothing except that a big clicky clacky keyboard with no letters on the keys because that shows how they're so you know no letters on the keys i'm more okay with okay if you want to hurt your productivity, at least it's not disturbing those around you. Sure. But if you want to lower your productivity by making it slower to type <laughs> and disturb all the people who are around you, and they know now how slow you're typing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's, I hadn't thought about that. You're a slow typer. And, you know, we could do away with all the letters. It's, it's the numbers and the symbols that I really need. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Carrot and what else is that? Percent? They're next to each other, aren't they? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> Dollar sign and. Oh and wait, car- no carrot. Yeah, carrot's next to percent. I was looking on the wrong side. It's the five and the six. Yeah. And so, see, yeah, those are fine. the uh, index finger keys, I think. Mm, use a lot of yeah, and and what you do is more of what do you you do? You write the formulas, right? It's more than that. I mean, oh sure. 
you, there are a lot of reserved characters and special characters that you use. Semicolon is very popular, percent, dollar sign also. Sure. So you use those, not as frequently as when you're communicating in general. Uh, square brackets, of course, are very mm -hmm. important. I use those in my normal texting and email okay. to show, like, not necessarily parenthetical ideas, but more optional than that. Okay, that sounds uh, involved. I don't like that <laughs> on the uh, the uh, smartphone keyboards, the mm -hmm. square brackets are really third class, if not mm. second class, uh, punctuation since they're on the second character screen. Okay. It's basically easier to get an emoji, any emoji, than yep. it is to make a spare square bracket uh, combination around some text. So you're saying you use those as, as some way of providing options? Wait, what, what's your, when do you use the square brackets versus the I mean, it's the way that square brackets are used, right? Okay. Like when there's subtext. That's okay. Subtext, but it's not a not requires parentheses. Yeah. Just give me an example. Pretend you're texting right now. <laughs> I don't use it every text. <laughs> oh, I can't, I cannot possibly think of an example. Hmm. Sounds like a, a reasonable criteria for being a third class citizen <laughs> on a smartphone keyboard. <laughs> Okay, do you use caps, or do you let your phone fill in when caps are necessary? Uh, if I use caps pretty much all the time. Like, for the first letter. All caps, you're oh, always no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, yeah. If I put a period in, it's followed by a capital whatever. Uh, and do you control that, or does your phone control that? I have lost complete faith in, like, the predictive text feature. So oh. I just type everything out manually so nothing is respelled correct and nothing is filled in in mm -hmm. capital letters or yep i takes me a long time to text and there's tons of spelling errors <laughs> so you said uh you lost all faith mm -hmm. in uh in the predictive text i mean does that go on into like i've lost all faith in Cancer research, cancer research and prevention, and self-driving cars, space travel for the average man. Um, I would say that it does not extend beyond predictive text features. <laughs> Where do you think more research is going? Predictive text or space travel? I'm still trying to figure out when I would ever use a square bracket in a text message. When was the last time you used a semicolon? I, I have a, a moral objection to the semicolon. So probably you you've, you have used square brackets more frequently. Um, sure. Okay, well, I didn't want to go here. <laughs> because the majority of time I'm using square brackets is, is in something called a regular expression. Right. Do you know what a regular expression is? Or a regex? Uh, four and a half seconds after whatever blah blah developer says that to me, I go Google it <laughs> and I get the general idea. And tell them to get back to work. So generally, square brackets are used to present an array of options of things that can go between them. Okay. So if I'm going to say this, this ball belongs to Jack, Jill, I can say open square bracket, Jack, pipe, Jill, close square bracket. And that really means it could belong to either mm -hmm. Jack or Jill. And you use these in text messages. To other dorks. 
So you use square brackets as if you were doing regular expressions in text messages. I am using regular expressions. Okay. Sure. In text. Uh, the more it... common one is actually substitution. Mm -hmm. So if uh, someone makes a typo or an autocorrect makes a mistake, sure. uh, you will follow it up with a substitute this for that. Mm -hmm. And people will do that in shorthand mm -hmm. via regex. Oh, okay. So wait, you, you would just... So you I would... actually don't do that. I put the correct text with an asterisk. Mm -hmm. and hope they figure out where it should go. Okay, so, but the example would be, you're trying to spell cat, and it comes out as cap. You send it, and then you do open square bracket. Well, this cat, is actually a different uh, syntax for regex. Mm -hmm. This would be s slash, uh, what is it, uh, cat slash cat slash. And that okay. would mean substitute cat with cap, or whichever way, I can't mm -hmm. remember, you okay. said it would need right. it to be. Okay, so that doesn't involve square brackets. It does not, no. Okay. I mean, there are many uh, characters that need escaping in regexes. Mm -hmm. Sure. Square brackets, just one of them. Okay, all right, all right. Oh. So I'm going to cut all of that out. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it really makes me think that I should be careful what I'm talking about because I don't want to sound like a huge dork. Are perfectly fine with being dorks. Hence the loud mechanical keyboard. Yeah, right, yeah. Um... And they they take great pride in, and this is fair, right? Like anything, just like someone who can speak a foreign language typically thinks of themselves in some way more refined than other people. Yeah, if they don't speak them well, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> people who speak foreign languages because that's what they speak don't think it's that special. Sure, but if you if you speak multiple languages, yeah, but like sometimes when when someone speaks multiple languages and they do it fluently, yep. I want them to be a clown to entertain me, and they're not into that. Right. It's only the person who's spent six years studying it and then, of course, eight months in the country where that's the official language, mm -hmm. they want to be the clown. They'll entertain me, but it's actually not that entertaining. Okay. So, like, oh, I, I studied French for, uh, for six years, and I lived in Paris for a year, mm -hmm. did my study abroad, didn't get a job, and uh, it has that je ne sais quoi. <laughs> they, they always break out into, or um, how, <laughs> even English with the French accent, uh, how you say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> those, those are the people who, uh, going back to your dork analogy, do that thing to emphasize their quirk. But, mm -hmm. for example, I was speaking with a French-Canadian the other, the other day on I'm Thursday. Sorry. And uh, <laughs> he grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, something like that, uh, after living in Quebec. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he's bilingual, dreams in French, counts in French, speaks English with a weird accent, yeah. uh, which is both French and Midwestern, <laughs> but uh, doesn't break into French, doesn't uh, not know how to express himself in English and mm -hmm. break into French or okay. broken French. So going back to our our dorks, and I think the way this was kind of, I was trying to wrap this as, you don't want to come off as a dork, 
But in my experience, dorks are very proud of themselves for their ability to speak in a language that other people typically don't understand. Yeah, that's just not me. I'm more of a rambler. We have, an, we have an interesting relationship because I don't know you very well. Well, now you know about regexes and the way that I use them in text. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's a very intimate part of my life. <laughs> and you don't know me very well, I That's would right. say. Um, you know, I would say our interactions are becoming more casual as they've, as they've progressed. We have had guy time, yep. just the two of us. I came over to your place... Maybe, I don't know how many months ago, and we drank scotch and oh, looked right. at and looked at watches together. Yes, we did. Mostly your watches, because your collection is more than mine, which is really just one watch. <laughs> well, it's, it's more now. <laughs> well, it is. That's true. I've got two watches now. Yeah. So. Now it's a collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I actually wore my, uh, my, my second watch, the one, my less fancy watch, this weekend to give my other watch a break and felt very, very, very... Middle, middle so class. So when you say give it a break, did you actually let it stop running? Mm. No, I just put it on the counter. Okay, so it kept running. Yeah. So it, it was doing all the same work it would have done normally. Well, but it was, but it was at least winding down a little bit, <laughs> right? Well, I wasn't it being was, rewound, yeah. yeah. We're, that, we're of that, course, talking about automatic watches Yeah, here. yeah, we're talking about watches. I don't think you need to qualify it. <laughs> Could be manual. This, okay, okay, fine, <laughs> yeah, fine. Which is, makes it a watch. Mm. Everything else is just, you know, some kind of clock. Time device. <laughs> okay, time device works. Where do you fall mm -hmm. in the 24-hour clock? In the, uh, you mean whether or not we should be on a 24-hour clock? As in, you know, quote, air quotes for the uh, yeah. listeners. Yeah, or square brackets. No, no it's not right. It's okay. not right. Square brackets is this. <laughs> he makes air, uh, square brackets with his hands. Um, so military time. Yeah. Military I hate time. that expression. Sure. I hate it. Okay. That's, uh, I mean, I'm fine with it, but. Where do I stand? You're fine with it? You're military fine with the, time? The, the term military time? Sure. It sounds so, it sounds so violent. Well, the military is like, also, they also build roads to drive tanks down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I guess that's true. So, so your question is, would I prefer if we were on the 24-hour time system? If it was, like, I cannot even set my microwave to 24-hour clock. I cannot set my mm -hmm. oven to 24-hour sure. clock. Uh, every time I take any sort of commercial electronic, I have to go to the settings and turn yep. it into 24-hour clock. Yep. And then you go to any other country in the world, and it's already there. Yeah. And oftentimes, there's no way to undo it. Yep. Yeah. So, personally, I'm fine without the 24-hour clock. Although, it's helpful at my job, so I have a 24-hour clock next to what I call a real <laughs> real clock. I mean, number one, it's, it's, it's fixed width, right? Sure. Hours already always take two digits. Just like, I mean, we don't, like, we don't have seconds that... If it's a, uh, you know, if we're, if we're looking at hours, colon, minutes, colon, seconds, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. we don't have one or two digits for, uh, for the hour and then one or two digits for the minute. No, we always have two digits for the minute. Yep. It's always 09. Yep. Right? Yeah. Why would it be any different for the... For the hour. For the hour or the months or any of those yeah. things. Like it's so confusing. Yeah. No, it is confusing, but you know, it works okay. Yeah. <sighs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've gotten this far. So there's no improvement left. There, there's yeah. no room for every well, every bit of efficiency has been squeezed out. Um, of time so keeping. one thing, well, and time one, time description. 
Sure. No, I mean, uh, it, so we're getting, we're getting, we're talking more about ourselves. We're getting to know each other a little bit more. I mean, right. this is, this is the, this might be the most intimate conversation we've ever had. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like now it's late well, summer. Well, you know, I'm like, I'm in like a kind of predatory pouncing position verbally here about yeah. what I think about, what I think about you thinking about the 24 hour clock. Yeah, no, that's true. That is true. The 24 hour clock, much like the metric system is clearly a superior, less confusing environment in which to operate. You, okay, so you made an analogy to the metric system. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the leap between the 12-hour clock and the 24-hour clock is as big as the imperial system to the metric system? Based on the fact that you can't get any of your electronics to be in 24-hour or your microwave or whatever else you said, I would say yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> But it's like, I mean, the, the conversions between metric and imperial yeah. are all different. Yeah. And all really hard to calculate by hand. Yeah. Or like in your head. Sure. Uh, to, to, be fair, to be fair, 24 hours. So, I'm sorry, not all of them for the listeners out there. Not all of them. Some <laughs> of them are very easy. <laughs> Which ones are easy? Well, for example, I know what a 10K is in miles. Okay. What is it? Like six? 6.2. Oh, that's pretty close. Yeah. I'm going to call that accurate. Six was good. Yeah, that's good. Uh, okay, even... Okay, so uh, how do you... Like, okay, Fahrenheit and Celsius. Okay. These are things that are really, like, very ingrained in, in our yeah. experience. And, yeah. like, we, Celsius we is literally feel what 32 feels like. But now it's really confusing. Well, what is 32? It's right. either really hot right. or very, very cold. Right. Uh, and so, like, that's a hard thing to change. Sure. It's a very hard, hard yeah. thing to change. But, like, 14... 14 doesn't mean anything at a 12 hour clock. Yeah. So it's easy to turn it into, sure. uh, you know, the 12 hour into yeah, 24 well, hours. But I, I'll I, walk that statement back. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I, uh, but that made me think. So um, I have some friends who are very good at arithmetic. And, mm -hmm. and they, they love to do the conversion of Fahrenheit, Celsius, and back uh, exactly the correct way. They love to do it. As in, when they're going to convert one to the other, they do it properly okay. versus doing a sort of estimation, which is exactly what I do. Mm -hmm. Times two plus 30-ish. Yeah. For the most of the temperatures that I deal with, it's fine. Yeah. For most of the things that we talk about, it's fine. Like, we don't... What does it feel like to you? Oh, it feels like 73. No, it doesn't feel like 73. It probably feels like either 70 or 75. Sure. So with, if you're within a couple degrees, it's fine. So, I don't know. I, like, do you... Do you do the proper conversion? Do you look it up? What do you do? No. Well, if I'm confronted with Celsius, then I just type it into some device that tells me what the real temperature is. Huh. In Calvin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I go, okay, so it's really 75 <laughs> degrees. So in what scenarios do you have to do this? Only when I'm in Canada, which I plan on never doing again. But don't you know that it's either cold or... I mean, you know it's either cold or you can just, you're outside already and you no, know what it is. No, I, I refuse to understand anything about the Celsius scale. <laughs> I don't even know. So, wait, isn't, so zero equates to 32, correct? That's the kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. That's freezing. Yeah. Well, listen, when, when, I, when I say 32, Earth, I, don't, I don't need to qualify like it as Fahrenheit. moderately sea levels. Yeah, yeah. I don't need to qualify it as Fahrenheit. 32 <laughs> is the temperature. It's not 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. It's 32 degrees. Huh. So I just convert it. So what... So you're saying if I times it by two and add thirty, that's the Fahrenheit equivalent. If you multiply it by two, multiply it by two. so there you've already I've already 
I've already been able to type it into my phone. At so that I have there 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 are two uh two verb usages that I, I I really can't stand. Okay. One is to cheers someone like I cheers you for for something. Okay. Which is like I toast to you for something. Cheers sure. is what you say. Toast is what you do. Okay. Uh, times as a verb for multiplying, mm. as opposed to five times ten, which means like. Ten five times or five ten times. Oh, five so, multiplied by two. Yeah. Okay, so, so you multiply by two. Yeah. And then you add thirty. Yeah. Okay. Ish. Thirty ish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah, like so, it, it, it gets you around. Okay, so th yeah, I mean, and and you can do it really quickly in your head, and some of us can. Some of us choose. Depends on what the number is, I guess. Well, I don't know. What's what's? Oh no. <laughs> How did yeah. you select which books to, um, I mean, these are like, these are like heavy hitters in terms oh. of, uh, books for coasters. You know, that yeah. reminds me of one of the topics. I did spend about four and a half minutes before you got here trying to think about some of the things I should <laughs> ask you just so it didn't, wasn't just two hours of dead air. Um, so first of all, I'll start with this. The, um, we're resting our drinks on paperback books because, if we, uh, not entirely. Well, I guess our drinks are on paperback books. That's yes. Right. Yeah. The microphone is on another, on, it's on a hardcover book. But um, we, we put down the paperback books because if you set the glass down on the table like so, it has this kind of jarring sound. But if you put it on the book, it sounds much much nicer. So I don't have to cut out that third of a second every time someone puts down their drink. Um, but, you know, being the cultured, refined, uh, liberal arts man that I am, of course the books are Tolstoy's War and Peace, which I've never read, and <laughs> Scott Fitzgerald's it looks like The it, Beautiful and the Damned, I mean, which I've never read. I think it was definitely printed before you were born. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and, I, and, and like based on the uh, what's that called? The binding? I don't think it's ever been read. No, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I uh, It is in like new condition conditions. Yes, it is. So how did I go about choosing these two? I went over to the bookshelf and looked for two paperback books I couldn't care less about. <laughs> <laughs> this is the ones I grabbed. 